Today's daf is Lamed Hay and Masechet Betza. We are on Lamed Dalit Amud Bet. We are nine lines from the bottom where it has a one dot and it says Amar Mosutra. This is a continuation of a discussion of yesterday. Yesterday we talked about how in general the rule with regard to Maaser is that we don't have to tithe produce until the fruit has been completely processed and until it's been brought home. These are the two rules uh, that, that, are, that apply generally, that in order for the tithing obligation to come into effect, the fruit has to be complete and has to be brought home to either the courtyard or the house. Now, there is a rule that as long as it hasn't been brought to the courtyard or the house and it hasn't been completed, you can actually snack from the fruit. You just can't eat it uh, in a, uh, a, make a complete meal out of, the, out of the fruit that is untithed. But you could snack on it. Now, the, the Gemara reported in yesterday's daf that on Shabbat, if somebody designates fruit for Shabbat use or goes to eat fruit on Shabbat, since everything that we eat on Shabbat is accorded a significance and importance beyond the normal eating, even if the fruits were not fully processed, they would immediately be considered as if they were fully processed and you wouldn't even be able to snack from them on Shabbat without tithing them, without the tithing obligation being satisfied, which means if you came on Shabbat and they were not tithed, because you said this is going to be my Shabbat snack and you went on Shabbat to eat it, but you didn't tithe it before Shabbat. Or if you, if you went to eat it on Shabbat without having tithed it, you wouldn't be allowed to because it requires tithing even though the fruit is not fully processed because the eating is happening on Shabbat. That's what we learned yesterday. Now, the son of Rav Nachman said, we learned this in our very Mishnah. Because what does it say in our Mishnah? Because we said that a person could stand on the Muktzah. The Muktzah are the fruits that are set aside for drying. They're drying out in the sun. They're not yet processed. You lay, they're laid out there. And the person could stand over them and say, I'm going to eat from these tomorrow. During a Friday of Shemitah, it says you could do that. Now, why only a Friday of Shemitah? Because Tama. It's only because it's Shemitah. There's no law of Maaseh. You don't tithe produce during the Shemitah because you don't own the produce technically. During the Shemitah, you have to let anyone take it who wants it. Implying that any other Friday, if you did that, it would make the fruit prohibited for Shabbat. In other words, if you stood on Friday and said, I'm going to eat from this unfinished produce on Shabbat, automatically that creates a tithing obligation on that unfinished produce and you wouldn't be able to eat it on Shabbat unless you tithed it before. Right? Doesn't, isn't the reason why any other Friday of, the, of any other year besides Shemitah, if you were to make that declaration where there was an obligation of tithing, it would create an obligation of tithing because Shabbat Kava'ah, because Shabbat creates a requirement. Even on unfinished, unprocessed produce that it has to be tithed, that's, that obviously is because it's Shabbat has that power. It says, Lo, Shaneatam, Kevan Damar Le'ilave. It could be. No, it's not because of Shabbat. It's simply because you designated that fruit to be eaten in its current state. And that means that as far as you're concerned, those fruits are as finished as they need to be because you're going to eat from them. It has nothing to do with it being Shabbat, that Shabbat has a special power that it turns unfinished fruit into finished fruit and therefore the fruit has to be tithed. No. The reason why you can't snack on the fruit is because you basically declared it is finished in its current state. The Gemara says, if that's Shabbat, so then why does it mention Shabbat? Why does it mention weekday? Why would it bother mentioning Shabbat? It has nothing to do with Shabbat. It's just a general rule that if I say these fruits, I'm going to eat from them, that means I'm satisfied with their state of, of where they are. I'm, I'm, I don't want them to be processed any further. And I'm going to eat them as they are. So why do I, why, so that applies all the time then, that automatically, and now I can't even snack from them until I tithe them because I made that declaration. As far as I'm concerned, they're ready, right? So that has nothing to do with Shabbat. 
So it says, Hakamash Malan, the Tevel Muchan Waitzer Shabbat, Shimavar Vitikino Mitukan. It's coming to tell you that Tevel, untied produce, is Mitukan Etzer Shabbat, is considered to be uh, fit for use with regard to Shabbat. Meaning to say that even though you're really not allowed to uh, tie the produce on Shabbat, if someone did tithe produce on Shabbat, in other words, if you went and said, I'm going to eat from this fruit tomorrow, but then you didn't tithe it, so you'd say, well, even if you wanted to eat from it, you couldn't because it's muktzeh. It's coming to tell you it's not muktzeh. Why is it not muktzeh? Because you said, I'm going to eat from there tomorrow. So you remove the issue of designating the fruits. But what you didn't do was tithe it. So you're really not allowed to eat it because of tithing obligation, not because of Shabbat. Now, if somebody went ahead and they separated the truma and the maser, which you're not supposed to do on Shabbat, but if somebody did that, now all of a sudden you'd be allowed to eat it also. We're not going to say it's muktzeh because it was tevel at the beginning of Shabbat. Since you went and said you were going to eat from it on Shabbat, that removed the muktzeh issue from there. But what about the fact that whatever is left over, you put back? How could you say that simply declaring that certain fruits are as finished as they are going to be according to you, and as far as you're concerned, they are now complete, and therefore they're subject to tithing? How could that be? But whatever is left over, all you're doing is speaking. You didn't do anything. And the rule is that even if you take fruits, if you take a bunch of fruits that you're going to eat, as a, and, and it looks like keva, it looks like you're going to eat a lot of fruits, so therefore it would require normally uh, tithing to be done, but then you put some back, in other words, you put some back into the original source, you didn't eat all of them, so the ones that you put back, they don't have a tithing requirement, right? They, they don't have that requirement anymore. And the Gemara says, we learned about Rabbi any time where you always have the option to put the fruits back, so then you didn't really create any tithing obligation. As we're going to see, it's not really in the Mishnah. If a person takes out of the, they used to put in a large container uh, olives to ripen a lot. So their oil would, uh, would, would ripen. A person could take one olive at a time and eat it with salt and there's no problem. But if he took 10 of them, so now he has to tithe it because it's considered keva. It's not a snack anymore. One at a time is considered snack. But once you have 10, it's not considered a snack anymore. He said, if you took it from a pure ma'atan, if the, if the source that you, the big collection of olives was pure, was ta'or, then once you take something out of it, you have to take the ma'asir from it. But if it was tamay, you're, you're exempt. Why? Because you're going to return whatever's left over from your snack. So you might have taken 10 olives. Maybe you're going to eat three of them. You're going to put seven of them back. So you can't say for sure that was keva. You can't say for sure that that was a fixed um, eating and therefore creates an obligation of tithing as long as it's always possible for you to reverse it and to put some of them back. Right? But if the matam was tamay, so we're going to see why. If, the, if it was tamay, so then uh, you would put it back and... Uh, and since you would put it back, there's no tithing obligation. So, so to here, if you just designate a bunch of fruits and you say, I'm going to eat from these, the fact that you say that you're going to eat from these is just words. You didn't do anything yet to the fruits. So how could that create an obligation of tithing? What's the difference if the container of olives is pure or impure? The difference is that in both cases, the person eating the olives is to make. If he eats from a pure source, he can't return the leftovers back in because he made them tamay now. So that means if he took 10, he made a keva, he made a fix that these 10 are like a full meal of olives and, and they have to have tithing. But if, he, if, he, if he's tamay and also the container of olives is tamay, he could always just eat three olives and put the other seven back. So that means he doesn't create an obligation of tithing on those items. So the problem is 
uh, you have the same issue uh, over there. You see, since you can return the olives to their original source, that no tithing obligation is created. So when here I say the words, I, I'm going to eat from here tomorrow. How, maybe I'll just decide to take uh, one of them. And we're saying it's not Shabbat. We're saying we're talking about a regular time that the person simply designated and by designated it changes the status. But that's not true because if I can always reverse, I can revert what, uh, back on what I said. So, so how can it create a good tithing obligation? We must also be talking about fruits that were out to dry, that they were tahor and the person was tamay. So once he declared he's going to take a certain amount, there's no way he can go back on it. But that's not true. That's not true because he hasn't touched them yet. So simply speaking, cannot, if taking the olives according to Rabbi Eliezer doesn't create a tithing obligation because you can put them back, then definitely saying that you're going to eat from them doesn't create a tithing obligation since you can always change your mind. Rabbi Eliezer is different because Rabbi Eliezer does hold that truma, meaning if you separate truma from produce before it was completely processed, even though you're not normally supposed to do that, that means you related to those fruits as complete and therefore now they have the Maser obligation too. So too Shabbat creates the Maser obligation. In other words, since it's Rabbi Eliezer's opinion, yes, Rabbi Eliezer's opinion is that Shabbat, any food for Shabbat that's eaten on Shabbat or that's designated for Shabbat, that eating is so important and so significant that even if the fruit is not fully processed, it is now obligated in tithing. The rabbis disagree with both of these things. Right? If you separate the chuma before you finish the processing of the fruits, you can no longer have a snack from those fruits. You must tithe them. And the rabbis say, no, since the tithing, that you did, the chuma that you took was before the, the fruit was processed, that doesn't transform the fruit into processed fruit. So therefore, the obligation of tithing still doesn't exist and you can still snack from it as much as you want. Just don't have a fixed meal from it. Same thing with Shabbat. So we see that what we said in the previous daf, that Shabbat creates significance, makes unfinished produce like it's finished, is only true according to Rabbi Eliezer, not according to Chachamim. Tashma, come and listen, Misefah. From the end, we saw in our Mishnah that the rabbi said that if you de- you can't just say, I'm going to eat from here tomorrow. You have to make a, you have to designate, literally write, show, put a sign where you're going to eat from. In other words, you have to make a specific fruit. You can't just say, in general, from this group of fruits I'm going to eat tomorrow, and then retroactively, tomorrow when you come, you'll decide which fruits you meant. You have to specifically identify them according to the rabbis, right? So the implication, according to Chachamim also, is that why do they allow, why do they mention the case that it's Shemitah and you do that on Erev Shabbat? Because that's why you're allowed to do it. Because when you declare, I'm going to take from these fruits tomorrow and eat them on Shabbat, you're creating a tithing obligation. And once you create a tithing obligation, you wouldn't be able to eat from those fruits. But since it's Shemitah, there's no tithing obligation. The rabbis would agree that from the mere fact that you designated them for eating on Shabbat, it creates a tithing obligation. And so if it were not Shemitah, you wouldn't be able to eat them on Shabbat now. Doesn't that mean that the rabbis also agree that Shabbat has a power, that whatever is designated for Shabbat eating or is actually eaten on Shabbat becomes not considered a snack, but considered a significant meal? He said, no, since the Kavali, since you designated, according to the Chachamim, the exact fruits that you were going to eat the next day, it doesn't matter Shabbat or weekday, that's what makes them considered complete now. Right? Normally, they'd be considered unprocessed. But since you designated certain fruits, 
it makes them consider process. But Shabbat, so then why did they mention Erev Shabbat? According to that, that's simply designating fruits. If you took a bunch of dates that were out drying and they were partially dried and said, I'm going to eat from these tomorrow or I'm going to eat from these later, that's enough to declare them, so to speak, that they are completely processed. If that's true, so why do you have to mention Shabbat? Same answer that we gave at the end of the previous Amud. That what they're telling you is that true, that actually is, is applicable any day of the week, not just on Shabbat, that if you take some unprocessed fruits or fruits that are in the process of uh, you know, drying out in the field and you say, I'm going to eat from this group of fruits tomorrow or later today, that makes a tithing obligation because you said that. You're accepting them as complete, basically. But why then did they mention Shabbat? To tell you that even though you might think, even though these now you created a tithing obligation for those fruits because you said that, it has nothing to do with Shabbat. Shabbat is not what created the tithing obligation. Your designation did. But once you did that, so now they're obligated in tithing and you didn't tithe them. So now you come to Shabbat and you can't eat them actually because you didn't tithe them. So what's the chidush? If it were Shemitah, you could eat from them on Shabbat because there's no obligation of tithing anyway. But on a regular year, you would have an obligation of tithing and therefore you wouldn't be able to eat them on Shabbat. So, but if somebody went and separated the, the tithes, separated the maser, even though they're not supposed to, that would actually create now uh, a perfectly acceptable fruits that you could eat. Meaning, since you designated those fruits for Shabbat use, even though that actually created a problem, which was the obligation of Maaseh, it removed the problem of Muktzeh, that it's not Muktzeh for Shabbat. So if somebody then goes and tithes it, whether it's before Shabbat or accidentally on Shabbat, you can now eat from the fruits. Or many has an objection. If a person was eating some grapes, and he went from the garden into the courtyard. Now the courtyard is usually what creates the obligation of Maaseh if the fruits are fully formed. Rabbi Eliezer says you can finish them. Rabbi Yosho says no, once you walk into the chatzer. Once you walk in to the uh, uh, the um, uh, to the courtyard, you no longer can eat from them, according to him, because according to Rabbi. Now, what it, the reason is because Rashi explains that grapes were normally made into wine. You don't usually, no, usually eat them. If you're eating them, it's not them. It, they're not processed yet. Because their processing is being made into wine. So Rabbi Eliezer is saying, you're eating these grapes. You come to the chatzer, and you can finish it. Because the courtyard doesn't transform unfinished product into finished product. But Rabbi Yoshua says, no, it does. Lo yigmor. You cannot finish those grapes because once you walk into the chatzer, even though the grapes are not finished in their processing because they're going to become wine, the chatzer, bringing it into the courtyard, makes it as if they were complete. Now, what happens if Shabbat? What if it became Shabbat? Rabbi Eliezer says, in other words, you were eating the fruits and then it became Shabbat. He says, you can finish. But Rabbi Yoshua says, no, you can't because why? Shabbat makes your snacking on the grapes into a fixed eating and not a snack. Okay? It's no longer considered a snack. It's considered achila chashuva, an important eating, and therefore you can't do it on Shabbat. Right? That's what Rabbi Yoshua says. So in both of these cases we see that Rabbi Yoshua is saying that whether it's the courtyard or the Shabbat, they take something which normally would be considered an unfinished product, like the grapes that haven't been made into wine, and say that you can no longer snack on them anymore because they've been given a chashivut, they've been given now an importance beyond what they had before. And Rabbi Eliezer says no. So what do you see? You see that it sounds like Rabbi Eliezer doesn't think that uh, Shabbat creates chashivut, creates an importance to the eating. Gemara says no. Hatam kedekatani tama. Rabbi Nathan Omer lo kshama Rabbi Eliezer yigmor b'chatzer yigmor elayotzei mechutz chatzer yigmor. Rabbi Eliezer wasn't saying that if a person walked from the garden into the chatzir, 
eating grapes, he could finish them in the chatzer right away. He meant he could, he could walk out of the chatzer again and finish them outside. Not in the chatzer. In other words, he could reverse what he did. Similarly, if the, if the person was eating grapes up to the moment of Shabbat, and then Shabbat came, true he's not allowed to eat it on Shabbat because his eating is an important eating. It's not considered a snack. And therefore he's not allowed to eat it, the untithed grapes, even though they're unfinished because they haven't been made into wine yet. Doesn't matter. But he wouldn't be allowed to eat them on Shabbat. But once Shabbat is over, he can again eat them. In other words, the, the machloket according to Rabbi Natan between Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yoshua is, does the bringing of the fruit into the chatzer make a permanent change, making the fruit permanently now considered a complete fruit? Or, and when Shabbat comes in, does it make the fruit that you're eating permanently considered a complete fruit? Or no, it's a temporary condition. Once the condition is gone, now it reverts so if you walk out of the courtyard back into the garden, or if Shabbat ends and you didn't eat from those fruits, so now you can eat from them again and the obligation of tithing never kicked in, according to Rabbi Eliezer. Right? That's, that's his reasoning. Rabbi Yoshua seemingly says that no, once Shabbat comes in, that those grapes you were eating from permanently, uh, once Shabbat comes in, uh, become uh, uh, fruits that you're not allowed to snack on anymore until they're tithed. Um, the Gemara says, This is going against what we said before and against also what Rabbi Eliezer has said on this Amud, saying that Ravin said that Rabbi Yochanan said, when he came from Israel, Ravin reported that Rabbi Yochanan said that whether it's Shabbat or Tumah, I mean any of these things that you do, that you, you have food designated for or that you eat on Shabbat, or you take Tumah ahead of when you're supposed to, or... Uh, we'll see what this means. The, or you bring the fruits into the courtyard. And we're talking about fruits that are not fully processed yet. Or if you purchase a, a transaction, we'll see what, what exactly that means. Meaning if you sell unfinished produce to somebody, does that fact that you sold it as a commodity make it significant and therefore it requires tithing? You can't just snack on it until you've tithed it. Or do we say, no, since the person who bought it, now they're going to finish the processing. They don't have an obligation of tithing until it's processed. Rabbi Yochanan says in all of these cases, if the fruit is not yet finished, there's no tithing obligation. So whether it's eating on Shabbat as a snack, whether it is uh, that you took Chuma from it when it was unfinished, whether it was you brought it into the courtyard when it was unfinished, whether it was that you sold it when it was unfinished, none of these things make it considered like a finished fruit that requires tithing. You could still snack from it until the, the such time. Of course, you can't have a chilat keva, you can't have a fixed eating, but you can snack from it. And then once you've, um, once you've finished the processing, you tithe it properly. He says, that's how it works. Now, now what Shabbat, La Pukemidele, mentioning Shabbat, is to exclude Hillel. Now, of course, Tosafot says they also could have said to exclude Rabbi Eliezer that they just said also held that way. But it's mentioned Hillel. If a person is gathering fruits from uh, one place to the other um, uh, in order to make them, uh, in, other, in order to set them to dry, and then it became Shabbat. Rabbi Eliezer said, Hillel oser. Meaning, Hillel only prohibited. In other words, he said that since that fruit was being designated, was that fruit was being put out um, to dry, so therefore it wasn't fully processed, and yet once it starts Shabbat, you cannot eat from that fruit anymore. Even though normally the fruit that's not fully processed doesn't have the full tithing obligation, and therefore you're allowed to eat from it as a snack. He said, no, if it's Shabbat, you're not allowed to. That's Hillel's position. Rabbi Yochanan is saying, no. Why do we have to know that bringing unfinished produce, unprocessed produce into the courtyard does not automatically require it in tithing and you can still snack from it? It's not. Um, that's to exclude Rabbi Yaakov. Because it says, 
That it says in the Mishnah that if somebody brings figs into his courtyard in, uh, in order to dry them, his family can eat from it as a snack because since they're not full, even though they're in the courtyard, they were unfinished. So you could still eat from them as a snack. If they were finished and brought into the courtyard, you couldn't even eat from them as a snack until you tied it. And they're exempt from Maser. Rabbi Yaakov disagreed. He said that no, once you bring it into the chatzir, into the courtyard, even though it's unfinished, it becomes like it's finished, and therefore it requires tithing before you even snack from it. Truma. What about, oh, and, I'm sorry, Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Yehuda, Potem, Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Yehuda, exempted, and that's what the halacha is, that Rabbi Yochanan is telling us. Truma. What about somebody who takes truma from produce that was unfinished? It was too early to take it, but he, he preempted and he did it early. Does that show that he thinks the produce is so important that now all of a sudden that produce becomes obligated in tithes and cannot be snacked on until tithes are, are separated? No. He's coming to exclude Rabbi Eliezer. We saw this before. Rabbi Eliezer says, once you've taken truma from produce, even if it was too early, now even that unfinished produce is like it's finished, and you can't snack from it until you finish it, and you take the tithes. Chachamim say no. The fact that you took truma too early does not automatically render the fruit to be considered uh, fully finished, and therefore you're still allowed to take a snack from it. Mekach, what about the purchase? If a person buys figs from a an, a regular person, average person, even though he purchased it, in other words, you might think since it's a commodity, it becomes automatically significant, but no, since most people press these figs um, and don't just eat them as they are fresh, uh, therefore, you can still snack on it because it's considered unprocessed. And when you finally do process it, you separate the maser of demai, meaning a doubtful maser. Normally, we've learned before that um, that the rabbis made a that if you purchase produce from an ama'aretz, you, you have to separate, not truma, because almost everybody separated truma, but you have to separate maser called demai out of doubt that maybe the ama'aretz didn't take maser seriously. It says you have to do that, right? So what do we learn from here? It says, Shmamina, we learn from this, Shmamina tilat, we learn from this three things. Shmamina mekachinekova. First of all, we learn that when you buy something, it doesn't automatically make the item considered so significant. It doesn't make it considered something that was finished. It's still unfinished, so you can still snack on it even though it was treated as a commodity. That doesn't make it um, considered it so important that you can't snack on it without tithing it. We also learned that most of the average ignorant people, they still separate master. In other words, there's still people who separate master, and therefore you can rely on them that they separated Maser, it's only considered Demai, it's only a doubtful Maser that you're separating uh, from this produce that you got. And that goes so far that even, that if the guy is selling it to you, if the Amaretz is selling it to you, you can assume that he separated the Maser even if the fruit wasn't finished yet. In other words, even if it's not usually at the point where people separate it, still we assume that most of them, if they're selling it already, probably separated the Maser, and that's why your separation of the Maser is only out of doubt. So you see from there that simply treating it as a commodity doesn't automatically make it considered anything bigger than it is. This is to exclude what we learned in the Mishnah. Because we learned in the Mishnah said if a person trades with his friend, one wants to eat and one wants to eat. In other words, they both, you're trading fruits and 
each one is going to eat it in the state that they uh, that they received. In other words, they're bartering fruits. Each one is going to uh, uh, is going to eat it, or each one is going to put it out to dry, or each one is uh, or one person is going to eat it and one person is going to put it out to dry. Chayaf says that you're that since you according to the Tanakhama, since you traded this fruit, since you treated it as a commodity, that's an important fruit. And though, even though you plan now on processing it further, it doesn't matter. You're not allowed to even snack from it until you take the tithe from it because you're not allowed to treat it as uh, casual eating anymore. No, says Rabbi Yudah, if you're trading fruits and they're already in the state where they are pre- ready to eat, they're ready to be, uh, to be um, eaten in their current state. So that is, uh, so then you, w- you would have to separate Maser and you would not be able to, um, uh, to uh, snack on it even without the Maser. But if you traded it to someone who plans on uh, now uh, drying it so it's not considered uh, fully processed. So that person is still let the snack from it until it's fully processed. That's the conclusion of the fourth parak. And we start the new parak. If a person had a bunch of fruits on their roof or a bunch of produce uh, or a bunch of uh, wheat or barley, as she says, on the roof and they were up there drying uh, in the sun and now rain is coming. So you want to lower them into the house. It says you're allowed to do that. Meshilin perot. From the skylight of Shabbat, but you cannot do that on Shabbat. Um, and uh, Rashi says that you can drop them down and let them fall into the house or whatever the uh, place is, uh, but not on Shabbat. You can also cover fruits with different kinds of uh, vessels, because of um, if there is a uh, leak, a rain leak. Similarly, you can uh, cover them if there is a rain uh, or there's a leak. You want to protect them, you're allowed to do it. You can also uh, place a vessel to collect the water from a leak on Shabbat. Um, and the Gemara, of course, will discuss what uh, the chidush of that is. Uh, the per- reason, of course, is in the case of lowering the fruits is that you're, la- that you're able to save the money that these fruits or vegetables would be destroyed or the grain would be destroyed and uh, you're allowed to protect your property and you're also allowed to protect the house from the flood. Now, Itmar Rav Yehudah Rav Natan Rav Yehudah and Rav Natan had different versions of this Mishnah. Chad Tanei Mashilin Tanei Mashilin They had different words, right? Amar Mozutra Amandit Tanei Mashilin Lomishtamesh Neither one of them is making a mistake because when it talks about the curses in the Torah it says that the, the olives are going to fall off the trees. Right? So it says means lowering something. And the one who says is the right language. When it's talking about the different kinds of blemishes in a korban, it talks about one that's a shechul that has um, one leg lower than the other one. Um, one of its uh, one of its legs is lower than the other one. So you see that the idea of um, uh, like it has a dislocated hip or something like that. So the, being lower, going down, the word mashchil shechul, and the ksul is one that has one 
uh, side is too high. That's the blemish of the Koban. But the point is that she said that one is a, when it's too low, one is when it's too high. So you see the word Shechul is referring to too low, meaning lowering. So Mashchilin would again mean lowering the produce from the roof down into the house. We also have two other versions, Mashirin and Mashchirin. What, what, and even if you add the language of manshirin, it's not a mistake. What about manshirin? Because it's not a mistake. Because we learned that a nazir is not allowed to wash his hair with dirt, with like an abrasive kinds of um, cleaning uh, uh, material, because because it removes the hair. So the word lahashir is to remove and to, or to lower to make it go down. So so to here, if it said mashirin perot that we're allowed to lower fruits from the roof, oman the mashirin, the one who has the version of mashirin, lo mishtabish, it's not a mistake either. It's not a shechor vazug shel saparim af al pi shenechleku tmein. We said that a certain type of a razor. That uh, Rashi says shemashir, but it should say shemashir atasera takes off the hair. It's called the shechol, which means it's a lowering. So it says that uh, that razor and even the um, the misparaim um, or the the pair of uh, scissors, even though it's t- they're separated from each other, meaning even though the two. Uh, two parts of the scissors are separated from each other. It's still mikabel tumah because each one is a uh, significant thing in its own right. That's not the point of the of the gemara here to discuss that, but just to show that the language of a shachor is a reference to lowering, and so therefore could have mashchirin in the mishnah would also mean lowering the fruits from the roof. Even the word mashchirin is correct because says if a person's clothing became um, soaked in water, right, fell into water. Um, he doesn't have to worry about walking around with it on Shabbat. Nobody's going to think that uh, even though his clothing fell in water and now he's wearing it, nobody's going to think he was, he washed the clothing uh, on Shabbat. They're going to know that it fell or he fell into the water with it. And so that Nashru, Manshirin, also means to lower. What's considered Leket, the kinds of... Um, uh, leftover uh, produce that falls from the harvest that you leave for the poor is something that had nosher that fell during the during the harvesting. So you see that nosher manshirin would mean to lower something to make it fall. So again, the, all these le- these uh, verbs could be the first word of our perik, and they would all fit just as well, meaning lowering the fruits. Now we learned in the Bishnah Mashlim Perot Erik You can lower the um, the fruit or the grain from the skylight on Yom Tov. Al Kama, how much? Some say it was Rabbi Zira in the name of Rabbi Asi. Some say it was Rabbi Asi in the name of Rabbi Yochanan. That the same thing we learned in Masechet Shabbat. Maybe We learned that if a person has an area that they want to be able to serve guests for Shabbat, or they want to have a bit midrash, they can move four or five. Um, boxes of straw or of produce to make space. So you see four or five. So it's saying in the same way, four or five boxes you can lower from the roof down into the house. But deal maybe that's different. Maybe over there you have bitul beta midrash. You're you're talking about learning of Torah. It's gonna, you're not going to have enough space to learn Torah. So maybe that's why you're allowed to move four or five valachat like a bitul beta midrash. Low. Maybe here you should be more strict and there should be more of a, a limit on how much you're allowed to move because it's not a it's not a mitzvah. You're just saving money. So that's not really a um, Maybe the rabbis didn't allow so much. Shabbat Chamirav, they killed the Tel Zazulebe. 
Klal, klal lo. Maybe it could be that when it comes to Shabbat, which is very strict, so even if we allow you to move four or five boxes or baskets of straw or produce, you're not going to come to violate Shabbat because it's so strict. But Yom Tov is lighter, easier, more pleasant. So if we allow him to do anything, he'll go to violate the Yom Tov or he'll end up, uh, it'll end up leading him to other, uh, you know, to take liberties with the Yom Tov. So maybe we shouldn't allow him to do it at all. Now, obviously, it doesn't mean literally not at all because uh, because the Mishnah says you can do it, but meaning maybe it would be very, very restricted then uh, because uh, because maybe on Yom Tov we have to be more strict. Meaning the point is that you can't necessarily make an analogy here from Shabbat to Yom Tov because maybe on Shabbat there's more of a concern because there's more of a reason to be lenient because you're doing it for learning of Torah or because you're doing it for guests or because Shabbat is so strict you won't uh, push the envelope on it whereas Yom Tov you don't have any of those items, right? Or you could flip it the other way. Maybe over there on Shabbat you're not losing any money so that's why it's only four or five. But over here on Yom, where we're talking about somebody who's going to lose we're not just talking about moving stuff around to make space we're talking about somebody whose stuff is going to be ruined so maybe we should say that... Uh, there's reason to be more lenient than in not only four or five boxes, but even more than that, you should be able to move. Now, interestingly, there is a machlok at what is the halacha here. Um, the Baal HaMa'or and others say that Rabbi Yochanan's original statement that we match it to the law of Shabbat would mean that you can only lower four or five down. And the Gemara is, even though the Gemara shows that that's not absolutely conclusive, that that, that analogy holds, you could argue it either way. But really, that's the only halacha that's straight out in the Gemara of four or five boxes, just like on Shabbat. And therefore, that's as much as you can lower from the skylight on Yom Tov. However, the Rif and the Rambam and the Shulchan Aruch don't agree with that. They say that the Gemara basically by showing that Rabbi Yochanan's analogy was not tight, we're basically saying that we don't hold by that analogy and that even though you're allowed to move only four or five boxes of produce or straw on Shabbat to make way for guests or to make a place to learn on Yom Tov, you're allowed to lower as many boxes as you want, as much as you want off of the roof to protect your property if you see that it's go- a rain is going to come and damage it. And that is the halacha that is brought in the Shulchan Aruch.